So did you have a good Christmas? What does, what does that even mean? What, what, what would you define as a good Christmas? And how do you know you've had one or not? I think there's a, a, some commonality between us, though we each have different traditions. Uh, and when we think about Christmas, or when we think about a good Christmas... I tried to find a picture that maybe uh, has all of the cliches of a good Christmas uh, in in Western Canada anyways, or Western United States. I know that your traditions might be quite different, and your house probably looks quite different than the one in the picture, but but we we kind of know it, don't we? we? When we see the picture, I mean, it's been in so many movies, and it's been on Christmas cards, and it's been in our kind of our collective imagination. Uh, for many years, uh, probably for all of us since we were born. And uh, this, this feeling that we try to create in the picture and then in our own homes is a feeling of warmth, a feeling of tradition, a, f- a feeling that we call Christmas. And it has elements of, uh, I mean, I know most of our houses don't have uh, wood fireplaces anymore, but it's kind of that that feeling of warmth that we want there, and then somewhat gaudy decorations, but yet comfortable chair, a warm blanket, maybe a, a book or a, um, you know, presents under the tree, and all of those different things that, that make up that, that thing, that feeling that we call Christmas. It is a feeling, isn't it, that we're after? Uh, it includes generosity, and it includes giving, it includes receiving, it includes eating. And it includes all of those things, but we're, we're looking for something or we're seeking to create or recreate something that's good, but something that's fleeting, something that easily disappears. And this is what I mean when I say that I believe in Santa Claus, because I think uh, the thing, we're, the thing that, that I think we, we kind of all understand, though in our own imaginations it's a different set of things because of our own histories and traditions, but we're looking for something that's real but can't be touched or smelt or seen or heard. And it might be appropriate to call this thing Christmas spirit. We're after Christmas spirit. And uh, I think Santa Claus is the physical manifestation of Christmas spirit. And that maybe doesn't, seems a little ridiculous to you, But in a context that I think some of you at least know very well, uh, this makes sense. Think about NFL or CFL game. And if you go actually to the stadium, don't watch it on TV, there's something there that is properly understood as team spirit. And it's, it's manifest physically in the mascot. And so if you've been to a game, I haven't been to many, but I have been, you sometimes think, well, I'm not really that big a sports fan, but, you know, my team's on the, on the field or on the ice. And, and you, you come out of the stadium and realize that you can barely talk because your voice is sore. And you think, well, I, I, like at home, I never cheer out loud. So what happened? Well, it was team spirit. You became a participant in team spirit. And yes, you know that mascot is just a person in a costume, but in the middle of the cheer, it's just a real thing. You completely forget that it's a costume because it, it, it manifests, it puts into physical reality the spirit of the stadium as everyone's cheering together and the mascot is leading you in the cheer from down on the field. 
And it's a real thing. It's not physical. It can't be put under a microscope and examined. It can't be defined by science. But it's a real thing, this spirit. And you know it's real because every team, when they come to the stadium, brings a different spirit. You can sense a difference. Some are a little more violent. Some are a little more cheerful. And it, and it comes out in the kind of celebration that happens after they win the championship. In, in different teams, the celebration that happens is different in the streets of the city because it's a different team spirit. Now, I, I don't want to get too far down that road because we're talking about, about Christmas and Santa Claus. And I think that's a way to think about Santa Claus as a mascot for Christmas spirit. And we know it's important It's important to not just us, maybe more or less important to to different ones of you, but if we look in the society around us, we we know it's important. And how we know is because of the ritual. We all go through collectively elaborate rituals in an attempt to create this Christmas Eve, Christmas Day experience, this tradition, this warmth, this, this fireplace with the tree in the presence and the feeling of Christmas. And the rituals are many, and they're varied, and of course yours would be different than some others, but I'm trying to imagine some of the common ones. And so one of the things about Santa Claus is he comes from the darkest place. He comes from the North Pole. There's no sun, day or night, in the North Pole in winter. And he comes comes bringing happiness, and he wants us to be happy. And I think there's a significance to that in that if Santa Claus is happy and he brings us happiness from the darkest of places, then surely no matter how dark my life is, I could experience some happiness at Christmas. It must be possible. But it's more than that. Santa's only real if you don't see him. I mean, we know how that works uh, physically, If you see Santa Claus putting the presents under the tree, you figure out that it's mom or dad or Uncle John. And then he's not real anymore. But it's also, that's that's how Christmas spirit works. Or that's how any kind of real thing that's more more of a spiritual thing or an emotional thing in our physical world, that's how it works. When you step aside from, from it for a moment and try to look at it and examine it and understand what it is, it completely disappears. One of the reasons why we feel so good on Christmas Eve is because we've just completely entered the moment and we're not standing outside of ourselves and examining what we're doing. We're just doing it. We're just in it. And so when you look at it, it it's gone. It's fleeting. It's hard to maintain. When somebody starts an argument on Christmas Eve. The Christmas spirit just leaves the house immediately. It's gone. There's a naughty and nice list. And this is important because it sets a boundary. I, what I just talked about. We, most of our families have somebody, an uncle or, or, or somebody, who's just a complete Scrooge, a humbug. And we kind of hope they don't show up for Christmas because if they do, the Christmas spirit will not exist. They'll just kill it. They'll just destroy it. They think they're doing a good thing because it's not real. Santa Claus isn't real after all. So it's a good thing to just remind everybody of that again and again and again. But we never get to that that feeling that we're after when that happens. 
And so we need to make a boundary around it and say, say these things are allowed and those things are not. We hang stockings. Now, I don't know if you hang stockings. We don't actually physically hang them up in our house, but, but they're part of the tradition. I know your traditions are different, but, but stockings are important because they create anticipation. We take one of the most disgusting things that we put on our bodies, our socks. Now, I know we have fancy ones, that we, but, but we know what, it, what it's all representing. We put our sock on the mantle. Like, what could be worse than that? Fill the house with the smell as the wet sock dries up on the fire. But it's a vulnerability, isn't it? I'm exposing one of the things that never gets seen. It's inside the shoe. It's inside the boot. And then I'm putting it there with an expectation that you will put good things in it. You won't put a mousetrap or a snake in there. You'll put good things in there. But I don't know what you're going to put in there. Because it's a gift. It's, a, it's, it's preparing myself to receive. It's a ritual that we do. And, and now from here we, we, could go, we could go on and on. Um, there's the cookies and milk. Uh, an act of hospitality. Inviting a stranger like Santa Claus, some weird magical creature. What in the world is he going to do in your living room? But you kind of give the expectation that he's welcome with this kind of action. And then we could go on and on. Um, there's certain foods that, that your home brings out at different times throughout the Christmas period and decorating the cookies and maybe you have the, the calendar with, with the open one box each day of December and get a goodie out of there. Uh, there's different kinds of church services and some families there's travel that's part of the tradition and gathering as family. And all, as all of these things starting the day after Halloween when you go into Walmart and say why are they putting up decorations already? All the way up until Christmas Eve, these things just add up. These rituals just add up and add up and add up and build and build and build in the hopes that on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, Santa Claus will come. We'll be so immersed in the experience that Christmas spirit will just take over the fights we have and the disagreements we have and the family will all be together and we'll just put a truce on those things that we argue about throughout the year and we'll, we'll just truly experience that that thing that that we call Christmas. I think I think it's worth the effort for a number of reasons. One is, and this is what I'm really trying to get at this morning and have been throughout this Christmas season. It demonstrates to us that we put a high value on things that are real but can't be measured by science. If you've had a good Christmas, you know it was real. If you didn't manage it, if you didn't get there, you had a bad Christmas, you know that it's real. And we know just by looking at ourselves and the people that live all around us that it's valuable because we look at the effort they put in to get there. Everybody wants to get into something that's real but can't be measured by science. They might say, I'm an atheist, and you say, do you believe in Jesus? And they'll, they'll shake their head and say, what a crazy person reads that stupid book, the Bible, with all the violence in there and all the arguments that come up. And yet the same person goes through all the rituals to try to get this untangible but real thing that they call Christmas spirit. They believe it's real. 
It's worth the effort to try to experience something, to know something, to be in something that's beyond the physical world. It is real, but it's fleeting. I like to call, or I think the right way to call this would be the feeling of being home. Isn't that what we're after? To truly and really be home. Where I belong. Where the people around me truly love me. And there's generosity all around. To be home. And I think, or I'm going to outline four elements that need to be there in order for us to to really be home, to feel home. The first one is family. Christmas always involves family in some way or another. Now, most of our families have additional add-ons, you know, the the friend that comes every year to to our dinner or people that we invite, but, but it's surrounded by family. And we know that our families are temporary and imperfect. That's why we need the truce on Christmas Day, right? We come together, we have disagreements, but on Christmas Day we're not going to talk about them. We're going to put them aside. We're going to be generous to one another. We're going to forgive for just one day. Try to create a family experience. And of course, in our, in our broken world, in our, in our broken lives... Uh, It's never quite complete because when we get together as family, we're reminded of the ones that have passed on, and it brings sadness. Someone's maybe in the hospital this Christmas or struggling with something or can't come for some reason, so it's temporary and broken, but we value it enough to make the attempt to get together, to get there. But it's not enough just to have family. As I've been alluding to, we also need love. Family together doesn't create the Christmas spirit if there's not love in the room. And here again, it's temporary and imperfect. And we need to start over again and again, or we just blow apart and and just never even bother to try to get together anymore. So it's important that we love one another, at least enough to be together on Christmas Day. But love by itself doesn't, isn't enough uh, to create this home experience because it's worth nothing if we don't have security. There has to be a level of security, a level of trust with one another. The, the furnace has to be on. It has to be warm inside. Uh, and, and there has to be, um, you know, we can't be, if our house burns down, of course, we're not going to have Christmas that year. There has to be a certain level of security both physically in our lives to create that warmth, but there also has to be security in our relationships. We have to trust one another enough to hang up the stocking and believe that good things will be in it on Christmas morning. So all kinds of different um, ways in which we can understand that, but we, we know as well that it's temporary and imperfect. We're ultim- ultimately not able to create enough security to be in that 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 feeling of of, uh, warmth that we call Christmas spirit all the time. And then I think maybe this sums it up, but it's another part of it, comfort. It's the word that we use in in Christmas songs because of Isaiah's uh, quotation there, Uh, but, but maybe the more correct biblical word for this feeling is Sabbath. Or rest. 
On Christmas, we rest. We don't go to work. Everyone's off. It's okay if the dishes stay on the, on the cupboard till the next day. The wrapping paper all around the house in a mess. On Christmas Day, those things are okay. We can rest. We have comfort when all of these things come together. Santa Claus tries to bring these things, but it's temporary and it's fleeting. And by Boxing Day, when we rush to the stores to get the sales, it's all gone. But it speaks to us of a deep and abiding longing in the heart of ourselves and all the people around us that we, we truly long to be home. And even the atheist will go through all the Christmas rituals to get that feeling. But it only lasts a day. Despite our best efforts as humans, we can't get to the place where we truly feel at home day after day, night after night, throughout our life. It's not enough. We can't achieve it. And this is why Jesus came. Because he came from our true home, put himself in the box as the gift, and was born in Bethlehem to bring his eternal, perfect home here to earth and satisfy the longing of our hearts that is expressed all around us every year in Christmas over and over and over again, the longing for home, the deep desire that's worth running up our credit card every Christmas to try to achieve, but never yet, never quite fully realized. Jesus came to bring his eternal, perfect home here among us and then to provide the way and show the way for us to get home. Just think about the promises for a minute. Family. In John chapter 1, But all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children, Children not born by human parents or by human desire or a husband's decision, but by God. In Ephesians chapter 1, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And what we have described here in these verses and many others is a, is, is a family that is not temporary and imperfect, but a family that is eternal and perfect and will never end. It satisfies the longing that is so obvious to us at Christmas when we try so desperately to bring our broken families together for just a moment of peace But this family that we're adopted into through Jesus Christ, the real Christmas, is forever and is perfect. If we think about love, our imperfect, temporary love is in contrast to God's eternal and perfect love. Jeremiah 3, or 31, verse 3. 
In a far-off land, the Lord will manifest himself to them. He will say to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That is why I have continued to be faithful to you. And then the fruition of that prophecy in John 3.16, for this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Security. The security we try to provide for our families and for ourselves and our loved ones is certainly temporary and imperfect. But listen to the kind of security that Jesus offers. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not a shepherd and does not own sheep, and, and does not own sheep, sees the wolf coming and, and abandons the sheep and runs away. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. Because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep, he runs away. Maybe that uh, thief is his, maybe his name is Santa Claus. He offers a, 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 a facade of security, a, a security that feels good for a bit until something comes along and shatters it. But that's not Jesus. He doesn't offer us temporary and imperfect security. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Perfect, eternal security. Comfort. I mentioned Isaiah. Let's read, read it together. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and tell her that her time of warfare is over and her punishment is completed. For the Lord has made her pay double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness, clear a way for the Lord. Build a level road. Through the rift valley for our God, every valley must be, be elevated and every mountain and hill leveled. The rough terrain will become a level plain and the rugged landscape a wide valley. The splendor of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it is the same, at the same time. For the Lord has decreed it. All the bumpy and rugged and hard and difficult places in life will be made smooth. And Jesus came to bring this home, to introduce us to it, and then to, to invite us into the family to follow him all the way to heaven and to the new heaven and new earth. And so we live in this place of longing. And I think maybe better than any other time of year and any other thing, Christmas reveals to us the true longing of the hearts of men and women. And it provides for us a way to start a conversation with people who don't know where their true home is. Even if they, if they don't believe, they believe in Santa Claus. They believe in Christmas spirit. They, they know they've experienced the longing of their heart for home. And they've understood, whether they've thought through it or not, they've understood that despite their best efforts to create that comfort, that security, that love, that family, it keeps falling apart. But they still long for it. And we have the message that answers that longing.
But even in our own experience, we, we know that it's not, we, even, even in our faith, we, we, we wander and we, we waver on it. But we continue on because we have the confidence, the full confidence that Jesus will return. He, introdu- he introduced us to our true home when he was here. And the scriptures guide us on the path towards that true home. And we hang our stockings, our faith, our belief that God will put good things in there every day in our prayers, in our songs, in our worship, in our comings and goings. Because we believe that we are beginning to experience and know the first fruits of our true home that our hearts long for that he will bring it in all its fullness when he returns. And our longings will have been worth experiencing in their ups and downs, in their pains and their joys because he will come and bring us home.